We are a growing family after God's heart. You've been waiting to hear that for three months now. At least tell me that you wanted to hear that again. All right. Amen. It's great to be back with, with our spiritual family. I spent a lot of quality and quantity time with my immediate family on uh, our sabbatical, especially my wife, Deanna. And, uh, but we, Deanna and I, want to say thank you to allowing, allowing us this incredible, incredible blessing. It truly was a wonderful gift. But so great to be back with our spiritual family. We really, we really missed all of you. We did. You were, you were in our hearts, no doubt about it. I want to say thank you to Pastor Joel and Pastor Nathan for your leadership. And then also all the anointed preachers who filled the pul- pulpit this summer. And I can't wait to listen to all those messages. I, I have some homework to do. And uh, it's, so, it's going to be great. I want to say thank you to, to the elders and the leadership team of Gateway Church who, who sent us. We're refreshed and rejuvenated, ready to serve the Lord, ready to serve his church, the body of Christ, Gateway Church. But I have to admit something this morning. I don't know if you can already sense it. You're not supposed to be able to see this or sense it. But I'm going to let you in on something. I'm a little nervous today. That's <laughs> just like this, this, uh, these butterflies, you know, kind of moving around inside me. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I've been on the other side, right where you're at, for like three months. And it was great just to, to go to church in another place in terms of, of kind of seeing what's happening in, in some other different churches. And... Uh, um, sitting in the chair there, taking notes, listening, listening to some great, great sermons. And, uh, um, and then thinking, I'm going to be back in the pulpit. I wonder if I can remember how to do this. <laughs> so if I slip into some of those autopilot um, places, just kind of put your hand up and say, hey, wait a second now. Slow down, relax, don't be nervous. We're a family, right? We're still a family. Awesome, awesome. My heart, my heart is, is truly full. I have a full heart. Deanna and I have a lot to share, but I promise I won't drop the whole load on you in one setting, all right? I won't make you sit on my couch and go through a million pictures <laughs> and then have you act like you're really interested. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, but I do have a few pictures, all right? I have to show you some of these pictures and to unpack all of what took place and what the Lord did in our hearts and and, uh, the information and the places that that, uh, we visited and what God did. It's going to take six months minimum to a year minimum to share. You're going to be hearing about a lot of this stuff for years to come. But that's how impactful the uh, summer has been for us. So today, so today my, my first Sunday back, I'm led to preach a message from Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. The context and background is a place, a setting, that I had the privilege to visit on my sabbatical. In fact, it was my favorite place in all of Israel. As I look back, all the experiences, all the sights, 
This was the place that had the, the greatest impact in my life. And I anticipated, we were in Nazareth, where Jesus grew up as a boy. And, and uh, coming down from, from that hill, um, anticipating what was to come, the Sea of Galilee. And it was a very emotional experience for me. I looked over, and I could tell Deanna was, was being impacted and touched. To come over that, that curve and to look off to my left and to see the Sea of Galilee, it was truly amazing. And uh, um, to think on that body of water, obviously it's not the same water, but in the same place, in that area, my Lord, our Lord, he started his public, public ministry there. And so this was ground zero as it relates to, to his public ministry. And uh, so I got a picture, of course, you got to do that. And this is high up on a mountainside, all right? So you can see down, there's the Sea of Galilee. And off to my, to my left right now, my right on the picture, left up here, that's um, Capernaum, close to Capernaum, right down there. And uh, Deanna and I have a picture right here. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, we are way up there. I couldn't believe the, the mountainside. You know, when I was thinking of the Sea of Galilee, why in my mind did I think of just only Mille Lacs Lake? Next week I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how it fits. You know, Mille Lacs Lake is, is way bigger than the Sea of Galilee. Not way bigger, but it's bigger. But I just assume that, that the area around it was very similar. It's not. It's not at all. I mean, when the Bible says that Jesus went up to a mountainside to get away and to pray, I mean, we took a bus on the backside to get to this place. And after that, it was a hard hike up onto that mountain range to look down on the Sea of Galilee. And, and Jesus, to get away, to be with his Father, often would go to a place like this. So that's the Sea of Galilee. And I have a cool topographical map. All right? This doesn't belong to me. It belongs to Larry and Marge McNichols with Mike and Connie Fleming who invited Deanna and I to, to go on this trip. All right? And I have a little one of these topographical maps in my office. It's just really small. And, and Larry's got the big one, four foot by two feet. Two feet, something like that. And, and when he told me that he was going to get this and he brought it home, I said, put it on loan. I need it. I'm going to use it as, a, as a, um, just a, a picture for you, an illustration. So obviously you can't see it that great, but it's got the topography of the land of Israel, the contours. Now, much of what is there as it relates to the topography is the same. There's maybe a little erosion, obviously, through, through all of the years, but there's, there's this incredible land of Israel, which is so incredibly diverse. I was amazed at the diversity of the land itself. I mean, if you look over here, you have the plain, the plains right here. And then we flew into Tel Aviv, but uh, you got desert to the south, I mean, it's brutal wilderness desert areas. And then to the north, you got Mount Hermon. I mean, there's snow capped. There's 
during the year, there's times when this, this mountain has, has, has snow on top of it. So from, from the snow-capped mountains in the north to the lowest place on planet Earth is the Dead Sea. And uh, we had the chance to, to go throughout that whole land. It's a land of incredible contrast. You know that Israel stretches from the north right up here all the way to the south. You go from the north to the south. It's about like 263 miles. That's it. 263 miles. And it, its width ranges from 71 miles somewhere here in this area, 71 miles, to the narrowest point is only 9.3 miles. I have a map I'm going to show, and then we'll go back to the, the map here on, on the, the, the platform. Just to give you an idea of how small the, uh, the land of Israel is. I mean, Minnesota. Minnesota's landmass is 10 times bigger than the landmass of the state of Israel. And yet in this tiny little country, there's this incredible diversity. You can come and check this map out if you, you would like. It's, it's kind of a cool map. Jerusalem's right in here. And uh, I'll, be, I'll be spending some time talking about Jerusalem, but it's really a cool place. Matthew 14, 22 through 33 reads this way. And this is the scripture the Lord's laid on my heart to share today. Immediately after feeding the 5,000, that's the context. And we were in a place where that took place. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray alone. It was night, and he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, and cried out in fear, but immediately... Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me immediately. Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When he got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are God's son. Okay, I said earlier, or I alluded to the sea of the Dead Sea, but the lowest freshwater lake in the world is the Sea of Galilee, right here to the north. 
the lowest freshwater lake. It's like 628 feet below sea level. And then if you follow this Jordan Rift, about 60 miles from the south of, of the Dead Sea, all the way there's this incredible rift that descends, 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 descends down in, into the lowest point on planet Earth, the Dead Sea. It's like 1,300 feet below sea level. And there's this rift, treacherous, like a wilderness. And all of a sudden, I had this aha moment. I was up way high, right up here, just, just uh, in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, right on that mountain range, looking down onto the lake itself. And then day, a couple, three, four days later, I'm at the lowest point on earth, and there's this rift. I had this aha moment. It's like, okay, now I get it. What this rift does right here from the, the Sea of Galilee, 60 miles cut into the earth. Either side, there's these mountain ranges. It's like a, it creates this wind funnel that starts from, from, from the north up here, Mount Hermon, and the winds just go north to south, and you just never know when they're going to hit. It's like, no wonder Jesus had to calm the sea so many times in the Gospels. It's like, I get it now. You just never knew when a windstorm would come up. In fact, the weather for these guys, these fishermen who knew the lake so well, the weather was predictably unpredictable. So they'd go out on this body of water, and they just never knew exactly what was going to hit. It could be a great day. Or it could be a stormy day, and it, it changed just like that because of this rift cut into the earth. Jesus sends them by boat. He goes up to get away to pray. It's early in the morning. It's like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Jesus sees what's going on down there on the lake, a sudden storm comes up. In fact, Matthew says, verse 24, that they were battered by the waves. In the parallel account in John chapter 6, verse 18, it says a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. Maybe you're in a similar place today. You might say, I didn't see that coming out of nowhere. What just happened? That layoff. You didn't see that coming out of nowhere. That, that came. It was like, Lord, that was so unexpected. Just like on that, that lake. The, that unexpected illness or the news that you or someone you love has cancer just out of nowhere. I don't know if this happened to anybody, but the transmission in your vehicle just blew up last week. Don't, don't raise your hand, but that happens, right? You, you have this unexpected, you, you thought that car, I mean, that it would go for another 100,000 miles, and all of a sudden the transmission is gone. You didn't see it coming. And you're saying, I don't have $3,000 to fix the transmission. Or you get a, the, the tuition bill for your kid at college that, that comes in the mail and you're going, wow, that grant didn't come through like I thought it was going to come through. 
It's that time of year, right? So many unexpected things happen in our lives. And Jesus what? He's aware of what you're going through. You might look around and say, where is Jesus in the middle of this storm? Well, he knows exactly what's going on. He did for these disciples. He was up in the mountainside getting alone with with his father, but he looked down and he saw that those disciples were straining at the oars, it says, in another parallel account. So today I want to talk about fear. Fear. I'm merging back into to ministry after 20-some years and going on the sabbatical, merging back. There's a little fear and apprehension that I have. And this week, as I was working on this sermon, just over and over again, even this morning, I just need to hear the Lord say to me, Paul, take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. Keep your eyes on me. I've got this all figured out. You're dealing with some kind of fear as well. Starting a new school year can be fearful. Trying to figure out where your locker is, and you begin to panic. You're going, I just want you to be careful. Just... Don't panic. If you're a child, a teenager, you're worried about this coming school year, Lord understands. Pray. He's going to help you find that locker. He's going to be there, right there with you. What does Jesus want to say to you today in this passage that I just read? Well, I have an outline in the bulletin. I want you to check it out. The subject is real simple. It's fear. And the central theme is overcoming fear. That's the what. That's the what. How can you overcome fear? Here's the objective. We can overcome fear by, listen, dismantling the barriers that keep us from trusting God. That's it. I'm going to talk about two, two barriers that keep you from truly trusting in God. And if you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if I can get a hold of this, you're going to see the fear in your life being dismantled. We can't control what happens in our lives, right? We don't know when the storms are going to rock our boat, but through God's grace and by the Spirit, we can confront the fear that is associated with the storm. Barrier number one is confronting the fear of failure. The fear of failure. That brings us back to the story of Peter in the boat. According to verse 24, a storm comes along so rough that the disciples can't make it across this body of water and they're professional sailors. Jesus comes to them. 4 a.m., right around there. Picture the darkness of that night. This little boat struggling to avoid being capsized. Cold, wet, exhausted, and terrified. These are the conditions that, that Peter is going to step out of the boat. Now that 
seem often in our minds is Peter hears what Jesus says and he steps out onto the water, but the water's still, and he walks on this, this still water. I mean, that's still a miracle, but that's not how the picture is portrayed in the Gospels. The water isn't still. The water is, is churning. It's up and down. It's all over the place. I mean, I've been on the Sea of Galilee when there's been waves. And Peter steps out of the boat into these waves. And he what? You know the story well. He fails, right? Of course not. I mean, he walked on water. But he, he sank, or he was sinking. Does that mean he failed? You don't have to raise your hand, but I will raise my hand if I've ever failed a test. Yeah? If you've ever been cut from a team, been there, done that. If you didn't get the job or promotion you wanted, how about if you've been impatient with a three-year-old? You You failed. Well, I mean, come on now. Well, yes and no. If you've ever said the wrong thing. We've all failed. Listen now, when we fail, the natural tendency that we have is to, the next time around, I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to be like, the 11 guys, or whoever was in that boat, I'm not, I'm not going out on the water. In fact, Jesus, when you send us out into the boat, I want to stay with you. Where you go, I'll go. I'm going to play it safe this time. I failed last time. I'm going to stay away from failure. Jesus doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to continue to take faith-filled risk. No, that's what he's calling me to do. In this next season of my life and ministry, I'm going to just lay it out. I'm going to lay it all on the line. Listen, I'm going I'm to say what Jesus leads me to say. Sometimes you may not want to hear what Jesus wants to tell you, and he uses his word through the foolishness of preaching to sometimes get under our skin. And that's what? That's okay. I'm going to risk failure. I'm going to say what the Lord lays on my heart to say. I'm going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but no compromise. Amen? No compromise. No watering this gospel down to somehow make it more palatable to the world that desperately needs to hear about salvation. Salvation. That we're sinners. We need a Savior. Not someone just to make our life better and more fulfilled. I mean, that's going to happen. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. 
I'm going to risk failure. I'm going to, I'm going to, and I'm the guy that would be in the boat. That personality of the disciple, not like Peter, but maybe like Philip, maybe Philip's the guy who stayed in the boat. I'd rather stay in the boat. It's like, push Peter out. Peter, you're abrasive. You're the alpha, the dog here. You go. And he's, he, he did. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. He comes, and, and he's walking on the water, not still water. The water is up and down. He gets his eyes off Jesus, then he starts to sink. There can be no faith without risk. And risk has to do with the fear of failure. And Jesus is saying, do you trust me? On Tuesday when you go back to school and you're trying to find that locker, will you stop and pray? Lord, I need help. When you're filling out the 10th job application and you're ready to give in to despair, will you say, Jesus, I got my eyes off of you. I, I got to put my eyes back on you. Lord, will you help me? Give me the strength to continue to fight the good fight of faith. <coughs> confronting the fear of failure, the second barrier is confronting the fallacy of misplaced trust. I just want you to land on that for just a few minutes. There's a fallacy going on. Did you know that your fear will speak to you regarding what you're putting your trust in? And it will communicate to you if it's a fallacy or not. Who and what are you trusting in? Fear's going to tell you. John Ortberg in his book, If You Want to Walk on the Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat, he writes and says, the boat is safe and the boat is secure and the boat is comfortable. <laughs> the water's high, the waves are rough, the wind is strong, and the night is dark, a storm is out there, and if you get out of your boat, you may sink. What message is Jesus trying to convey, convey to you when, when he asked Peter the question, you have little faith, why did you doubt? You of little faith, Paul, why did you doubt? Another way of saying it is, Peter, Paul, John, Mary, why didn't you continue to trust me? I've got you covered. I won't let you sink. Because when I identify what threatens me, that is the key to overcoming fear in my life. Why was he af afraid? Because he was threatened. I'm going to die. When I'm threatened, the tendency I have, like many of you, is to run and hide, flee or fight, Run and hide or defend and retaliate. 
try to manipulate the situation. And all of those reactions reveal that I'm putting my trust in other sources outside of who? Jesus. It doesn't help me. It hinders and hurts me. What threatens you today in this season of your life? You're on that lake and a fierce windstorm has suddenly come, come up. And you can't control what happens in your life. Don't even try to do that. It doesn't work. Stop the manipulation. Sometimes we don't even know we're trying to manipulate certain things in our lives. When the Lord just puts your, his finger on that, just say, okay, I'm trying to control certain situations that are going on. The reason why we do that is we're threatened. And the reason why we're threatened is because we're afraid. You can't control what happens in your life, but you can confront the fear that is associated with it. So here's today's tweet. I'm going to start tweeting every once in a while, all right? You're going, oh my word, the caveman's going to tweet. What are you talking about? I I opened up my own Twitter account, all right? And I'm going to, I'm only going to tweet, I'm going to say, you'll be surprised. Every once in a while, I'm going to tweet just in 140 words, characters, what today's sermon's all about. So what's it about? The tweet is this, you can't control life but you can confront fear. You can do this. And when you confront the fear, you dismantle the barriers that keep you from trusting God. And that's the word. Next week, we're going to come back to the Sea of Galilee, talk about Jesus Christ when he puts his team together. But today it's about conquering the fear in our lives.